Noise, distractions, investigations, and accusations of a cover-up. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast here in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he is Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, is at houstonchronicle.com. So much to cover, Jeremy. So many things have changed. And I'll tell you, on this situation with the shooting in Uvalde and shootings since, by the way, we'll focus on Uvalde because that's ours here in Texas, but right after that, a shooting in Tulsa just this week and shootings elsewhere. Um, and just a, what a lot of people would describe as an epidemic, if you will, of gun violence all across the United States. This is front and center now. And so much of what's being discussed, the catalyst for it, was the shooting we covered on Election Day last week here in Texas. So many things have changed. Have you ever covered one of these situations, Jeremy, where... There was new information coming out uh, almost on a daily basis that completely contradicted what was be, you know, being said before. Not anything anywhere close to what we're witnessing here. You know, there's always like details that get sewn up later on, gone, this, but never like out and out complete changes of the entire story. Right. So I'm not sure what to trust. And you know, as I've said on, on social media, it's like I'm not sure what those poor victims and their families are having to go through right now Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out, well, what did happen? Just tell me the truth. The people at the top were not giving a true version of events. And there's a lot of finger pointing about who's to blame for that. So let me take you back to last week, the day after the shooting, governor Abbott surrounded by folks like the Lieutenant governor, the speaker of the house, uh, the attorney general and others was on stage in Uvalde And remember this, he was quick to praise law enforcement because of their quick response. But the reality is as horrible as what happened, it could have been worse. The reason it was not worse is because law enforcement officials did what they do. They showed amazing courage by running toward gunfire for the singular purpose of trying to save lives. Now, that is not what happened at all. And we'll get to the explanation about how he ended up with that information. Uh, But at a news conference on Friday, after we had already done last week's show, DPS director Steve McGraw said that, look, um, officers did not try to go into the classroom where those children we're calling 911 for help. He was asked about it uh, by one of the reporters at CNN. What efforts were made to try and break through that door? You say it was locked. What efforts were the officers making to try and break through either that door or another door to get inside that classroom? None at that time. The words none at that time stuck with people that afternoon, Jeremy, because every bit of training that cops get now about active shooter in a school situations is the opposite, right? And it's not new either. It's been that way for 23 years since the shooting at Columbine in Colorado. DPS Lieutenant Chris Oliveira said, look, this was a dangerous situation and it was pure chaos there at the school campus. One thing that, of course, 
the American people need to understand is that officers are making entry into this building. Uh, they do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school. So who was in charge? The incident commander on the scene was the school district, the ISD police chief, Pete Arredondo, who, by the way, was just elected to the uh, city council down in Uvalde. Of course, that election was before this shooting unfolded. So there's been some intrigue about that and some controversy about that. They apparently uh, held his uh, his swearing in ceremony in private instead of in public. And, uh, you know, his folks uh, had said that that's because they needed to go on and do it and swear him in. But they didn't want to have a celebration, a big ceremony, uh, you know, while these people are grieving there. And I can understand that, although some people said, well, why wasn't this an open meeting? There's, you know, there's a lot of argument about that. We'll watch the details as they come out about that. I, I, I tend to think, Jeremy, that people are looking for a conspiracy theory everywhere they can with this. I think that, you know, that deal with the swearing in is not that big a deal. But uh, but the police chief, Arredondo, didn't want to say a whole lot about any of this just yet. He was the guy who was calling the shots that day because, and this makes some sense, even though the incident commander uh, status can be shifted to one of the other agencies for sure. It's not like DPS couldn't have taken it over at some point. It's not like the, uh, you know, the Uvalde Police Department couldn't have taken it over. Um, there are other agencies that could have done something. Do you remember the movie, uh, The Fugitive? with Tommy Lee Jones, yeah, where the local cops are looking for Harrison Ford's character. And then Tommy Lee Jones shows up as the U.S. Marshal and they take it over. Right. But th it happens all the time. Right. So they could have done that, but they didn't. In this case, the police chief, Arredondo, did not want to answer any questions from reporters who have been trying to get him to explain his actions that day. We're not going to release anything. We have we have people in our community being buried. So. So we're going to be respectful. I, I just want your reaction we're gonna, we're gonna, to we're gonna be, the director McGraw saying that you were responsible for the decision right. we're to gonna go be, into that room. How do you explain yourself be, to We're the going to be respectful to the family. I understand and, that, and, but you have and, an and opportunity point, oh, and sure, and we're, to explain and we're gonna, yourself to the parents. And just so you know, we're going to we're gonna do that eventually, obviously. When? And whenever this is done, and let the families quit grieving, then we'll do that, obviously. Since all of this has been so confusing, Jeremy, the governor said that he's livid that he was given bad information about what happened and that he then relayed that to the people of Texas and the people of the nation about what unfolded. He said that he wants to get to the bottom of why this has been so confusing. I am livid about what happened. I was on this very stage two days ago and I was telling the public information that had been told to me in a room just a few yards behind where we're located right now. I wrote down hand notes in detail about what everybody in that room told me in sequential order about what happened. And when I came out here on this stage and told the public what happened, it was a recitation of what people in that room told me, whether it be law enforcement officials or non-law enforcement officials, whatever the case may be. And as everybody has learned, the, the information that I was given turned out in part to be inaccurate. Jeremy, it was in part 
inaccurate. It was way inaccurate. The story that we started off with here, what he had said last week at that news conference uh, on Wednesday in Uvalde, and what you basically just heard everybody say there, whether it was the police chief who didn't want to say too much, the DPS director who you know said some things. In fact, to his credit, uh, the DPS director did say last Friday that the decisions that were made were the wrong ones. But I just see finger pointing everywhere, at every level, Jeremy. Nobody wants to take responsibility for the way that this played out. Yeah, and it's hard for, you know, to think about, like, you know, the real story was, you know, for well over 70 minutes, you know, there were children who needed help behind that door who weren't getting help. It's like, how does Abbott kind of live with that part of the story? He didn't know it clearly mm -hmm. at that point. As I, and so, yeah, I can see his frustration as like, yeah. it's, it's one thing to be told false information, but then to amplify it back out, it makes Abbott look like he's part of something. And you hear that from some of the conspiracy people saying, what was Abbott trying to cover up? You know, it's like, and so he's now put in this position. And now, so was it the Uvalde PD that gave him the wrong information? Was the, is it Uvalde you know, Independent School District that gave him the wrong information? Like, who gave him the wrong information? They're like, there's got to be some way for him to, you know, make sure they find, you know, who who's responsible. For that. He, he must have heard it from somebody who gave it to him, right? And so he must know who that is. I, I, I want to see what the repercussions will be of that eventually. Right, and... And you heard him, uh, he was very careful about saying there was law enforcement in the room. There were other people in the room as well. He didn't say who they were. So he was yep. saying he was getting information from multiple sources. I think, and you'll hear a lot of this uh, from Abbott's critics. They'll say, look, you're the governor. So on some level, the buck stops with you and you need to figure this out. And you need to let us know that you're getting it uh, under control, right? Or that somebody would do that, whether it was the mayor of the town, the governor, the police chief, you know, the the uh, the ISD police chief or the uh, Uvalde police chief, somebody to step up and go, yes, I made the call and it was the wrong decision. Instead, we heard the DPS director say that, but he was saying it about somebody else's decision. So all finger pointing and all blaming all around. Now, you saw where Beto O'Rourke is holding town halls around the state focused on this. He's got one coming up uh, tonight here on Friday uh, in Austin, and he had one in Dallas where he was slamming Abbott for a few things. Uh, number one, he said that when Abbott originally told the state in an update, and remember, Abbott was doing a, a, a press conference about wildfires up in the Abilene area when the governor started to get the first word about the shooting down in Uvalde. And so during the news conference about the wildfires, Abbott gave us information that not just a couple of kids were dead down in Uvalde, a lot of kids were dead. At that point, they knew that at least 14 children were dead, and the governor laid that out uh, very calmly at this news conference uh, in Abilene. And if you've seen the tape of the press conference, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you should watch it. At that point, he only knew that 14 children had been killed and, and one teacher. And he gave the description of that shooting as though perhaps he was giving the weather forecast for the state of Texas. Without passion, without any resonance, without it affecting him in the slightest, as far as I could tell. Now, in fairness to the governor, that's just the way he talks. As you have pointed out, Jeremy, he basically has two speeds. The governor can only, you know, basically talk, talk about like this or talk about like this. And in fact, we did at one point. Uh, play audio of the governor on this show where he was testing that out on a microphone. Remember during the uh, 
during winter storm yuri it was oh, a, right. a leaked remember that leaked video it's on my twitter people can look at it uh, anyway beto said that he could not believe that abbott after letting people know that 14 children had been slaughtered down in uvalde that after that he traveled not just up the street but he traveled a long way to go to a fundraiser over uh, in I wouldn't say East Huntsville is not really East Texas, but Walker County, north of Houston. If you put a map up of Texas, it's not on the way to Uvalde from Abilene. All right, that's Definitely the point. I'm, that, that's the point I'm making. So here's what uh, here's what Beto said about that. And then here was the choice. After he reported out to the state what had happened, here was the choice. He had a fundraiser scheduled that night in Walker County, which was about 300 miles to the east and to the south. And he had the people of Uvalde just directly south, 240 miles, a shorter distance, who were just beginning to grieve. The bodies hadn't all the way been counted. Not all the deaths had been reported. That was the choice. Go to the fundraiser or go to where these families need that help right now. As you know from reading the news, he chose the fundraiser. He drove 300 miles to count dollars while they were still counting bodies in that community. You can hear the crowd reaction there. People not happy. Of course, those are Democrats. Uh, I did get uh, some pushback from some Republicans who said that, hey, look, Beto's raising money as well. He had some uh, Facebook ads that are asking for your $5, $10, $20, whatever. I would point out that those were previously scheduled ads. And look, this was an event that was previously scheduled in Walker County uh, in the Huntsville area. Uh, but there's a big difference between having you know some social media ads up that are just sort of generic ads that you know you're looking for five bucks uh, versus going to a high dollar fundraiser at a rich guy's house in Walker County, which is what the governor decided to do. And Jeremy, I just and you know I saw where the the Washington Post had picked up what we had co covered at uh, quorumreport.com about this fundraiser. We broke the news about it, and the Post quoted some uh, Republican operatives and others who said that they suspected that maybe the reason the governor hadn't gone to Uvalde directly that night on Tuesday was because maybe he was at a fundraiser, but they were just kind of kidding and thinking, oh, they can't be that he actually went to a fundraiser. And instead they were shocked to find out that they were correct. How do you, as, as somebody who has ascended to the governor's office of Texas, how do you not have people around you who say at that moment, no, no, governor, we're, we're not going to the fundraiser now. We're just going to call them and tell them that you're not on the way to that. Instead, we're going to go to the scene of the crisis. It, it sort of reminds me of Cruz, you know, Senator Cruz going to Mexico during the winter storm, I had a, a, a longtime Republican um, uh, insider, if you will, say to me that one of the one of the basic rules of politics, especially in a crisis, is you just don't leave your people. Right. You, you, you always go to where the hurting is, to where to where the problems are to get there and start to figure out what they need and what your response is going to be. And you don't do anything else. It's a 911. It's a crisis situation. It's a break the glass situation. You get yourself down there. Well, yeah, they had, they had, you know, a long time to get down to Huntsville to kind of think about that and have it catch them and go, wait, we really shouldn't be doing this. Should we? And it's like, you know, the, you know, anything, you don't have to have political instincts for that. It's like, it's a human instinct. You know, right. it's like, you know, as reporters, my first instinct was like, I was in the middle of my high school kids you know, graduation. I'm mm -hmm. thinking, how quickly can I get to Uvalde? I was actually, you know, trying to map out how quickly I could get there as news was breaking. Mm -hmm. it just like, and so I'm assuming the governor's people had to be saying, 
you know, for the, the, his explanation of why I just went in and checked in and told mm-hmm. folks I couldn't be here and then he left <laughs> is a weird explanation. I, I I do have to say this, like, so I did, you know, I, tr- I tried to reach out to the governor's people after Beto said, you know, what he said in Dallas, uh, and they didn't want to talk about it because they're saying we're not talking politics at all. They, you know, instead, you know, I ended up talking to uh, Dennis Bonin, uh, our old friend uh, and former House Speaker, who is kind of helping pitch in to help with the Abbott campaign from time to time. Mm-hmm. And he just went off on Beto. He called it Bonin despicable. Did? For, yeah, he called it despicable <laughs> for Beto to be trying to politicize what happened in Uvalde and said he's the one who's, you know, having town hall meetings while this is all going on. And he's still raising money when Abbott shut down his fundraising. So, Man, yeah, you know, a lot of context there, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Work through. Well, <laughs> but, for, uh, but, I mean, yeah. You know, but certainly, you know, they're trying to say, look, you know, you know, Abbott, you know, shut down all the fundraising after that event and hasn't done anything since. Uh, mm-hmm. And Beto's the one who is now kind of violating, you know, the good senses by doing these, you know, <laughs> events all around the state slamming Abbott. Um, so I don't know. It, 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 it was a weird kind of response, but, you know, certainly it, it, it made sense to there's some folks who I think are uneasy with some of the stuff that Beto has done, you know, mm-hmm. his confronting Abbott during the press conference when they were in Uvalde on that mm-hmm. Wednesday mm-hmm. clearly p- produced a lot. You know, we talked about it a lot last week. It's like, yeah. is this uh, beyond the the norm? You know, probably because the whole event is beyond the norm. Right. You know, and having rallies around the state to, to go after Abbott, you know, for how he's managed all of this. Mm-hmm. Is it beyond the norm? Yeah, there's a time I wouldn't have expected that, you know. Right. But in this case, I don't know. A week afterwards, yeah, I'm not so sure. A lot of other Republicans have moved on. They're already doing other stuff. You know, you know, Dan Crenshaw, the congressman from Houston, had a, an hour long discussion on border security last night in you know Montgomery County, and mm-hmm. the words Uvalde never came up. You know, right. so a lot of folks are moved on here. Well, it's interesting that uh, Dennis Bonin, who was uh, uh, forced into retirement because he disgraced the House of Representatives, would have bad things to say about anybody. I'll come back to him later. Uh, Roland, Gutier- Roland Gutierrez is the state senator from Uvalde, uh, or he represents Uvalde. He's from San Antonio. Uh, he talked about uh, the special committee that was set up by Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick in response to a request from the governor. You saw what the governor did was he put out a letter asking for the Lieutenant Governor and the Speaker, Dade Phelan, to establish, quote, special committees. And here's how little people know about state government, Jeremy. When they saw the headline that special committees were going to be formed, people were texting me and asking, and not, these are not people who, um, I'll say they're not stupid people. It's just people don't know anything about state government. So they saw this headline that said special committees, and they said, oh, does that mean there's going to be a special session? And I laughed because, no, there's not. That's not what's happening at all. In fact, this would be the opposite. This would be stalling so that you don't have to do a special session. This would be doing anything you can to not have a special session. Gutierrez, he's not on the committee. He pointed out that other senators who represent areas that have seen these mass shootings, well, they're not on the special committee either. But I do consider it a slap in the face to the people of Uvalde. They didn't have their representative there. A slap in the face to the people of El Paso, whose senator is not going to be engaged in that dialogue either. And the people of Santa Fe near Houston, 
whose Republican senator was also not invited to those particular special committee hearings. The facts are that there are eight Republicans on that committee and three Democrats. Three of those Republican members are recipients of NRA A-plus rating awards. Senator Gutierrez got emotional talking about his conversations with the director of the Department of Public Safety, Colonel Steve McGraw. Steve McCraw and I have shared a lot of tears together on the phone. We have all failed. There's been a lot of failure here. So the one family that I've spoken to whose shot, daughter was shot one time only, who likely bled out, I can only say, I can only say we are sorry. The governor asking the speaker and the lieutenant governor to form these committees um, was quickly uh, complied with by the lieutenant governor. The speaker uh, took a couple of days, and just today, earlier this morning, Jeremy, uh, the speaker announced that he's forming an investigative committee of the Texas House and interesting choices for the membership. Um, Dustin Burroughs, who's a representative from Lubbock, will be the chair of this. Joe Moody who does represent an area where there was a mass shooting uh, in El Paso, is a Democrat from El Paso. He's the vice chair of this committee. And former Texas Supreme Court Justice Ava Guzman, who's not a House member, obviously, but she's also going to be on this committee, which, by the way, when they have um, an investigative committee, they do have subpoena power. So we'll see if they're able to try to root out any of the details of all the stuff we're talking about, you know, with all this confusion and where law enforcement went wrong and all of that. And the speaker also instructed one of the standing uh, special investigative committees or special um, interim committees uh, to look more into what can be done to keep children safe. None of, uh, none of this, of course, is gun control. That is not even on the menu that, at, at all. In, in fact, they're talking about things like, and I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm a little surprised they're not talking about video games and gangster rap, because a lot of this all sounds like debates from the 90s, right? Instead, they've sort of moved on to some other stuff, healthcare. Oh, excuse me, well, mental health care um, and uh, social media and a few other things, including the hardening of schools. But a lot of it sounds like you pointed out last week, Jeremy, a lot of it sounds like the same stuff they talked about after what happened four years ago in the Santa Fe shooting. Yeah. And, and boy, and this is an important kind of point to make because it's not a special session, like you pointed out, it's a special committee that's going to meet Whatever they do, you know, if they want to pass anything on school safety, it wouldn't happen until the next legislative session, which, of course, doesn't start till January. You know, it takes a little while the legislation get rolling. You know, let's say, you know, and, and things get held hostage for whatever reasons, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Eventually, this thing might pass in May of next year uh, if, you know, if there's some sort of reforms for school safety. Keep in mm -hmm. mind, that means nothing will change for this upcoming school year. We are literally going to send our children to schools in August and nothing will be different about, you know, what we have on the books as laws right. when that happens as, than what's already in place now. So yeah. the next school year, it's like, what happens? What, what's going to be different? And it's like, legislatively, nothing. You know, no laws will be legislatively right. that can be done that will change anything. I, I'm not saying there has to be. I, I I don't know what ultimately they're going to do to make schools any different than what they did a couple years ago. You know, 
in fact, the, the, the Uvalde ISD police force is kind of a creation of that legislation from, you know, after the Santa Fe. They got funding to help create that, you know, police department there. And more school districts have, you know, police on duty now within their own agencies, you know, to kind of handle these issues. And so yeah. there are some things that have happened. But just keep in mind, nothing will change in this school year uh, going forward because, until the legislation passes. When that legislation passes, it would be for the next school year, not mm -hmm. for this one coming up. Now, they could have a, uh, you know, they could have a whack at that if the governor called them into special session, right? He's yes. the only person constitutionally, he's the only person who can do that, as he has pointed out previously, right? Remember when um, the lieutenant governor wanted to have a special session immediately on a few issues and the governor uh, told some reporters in Dallas, that uh, Dan Patrick's comments were kind of goofy, quote, goofy, because only the governor can call a special session and only the governor can decide what the agenda should be. Our publisher, Harvey Quan uh, Kronberg at QuorumReport.com, he wrote uh, a piece where he explained why Abbott's not doing that. And um, I thought that the way he laid it out it explains it perfectly. The, what he wrote was, quote, the first rule of a special session is the governor is the one completely in the spotlight, everything is laser focused on them because when you call lawmakers back in, you had better have some policy proposals ready to go, even if they're going to get chewed up in the legislative meat grinder and you lose. At least that way, the CEO of the state will have laid out some vision for what's supposed to happen. You can't just call them into session, Jeremy, and say, hey, y'all figure it out in 30 days. That's a recipe for disaster. What is the consensus right now? Everybody is saying, quote, do something which means there's no consensus at all. So let's go to Washington. Maybe they have some idea of what to, since Texas isn't going to do anything to your point, nothing will be different. Let's go to the white house. What did president Biden say last night in pushing lawmakers in Congress to get something done on gun legislation? For God's sake, how much more carnage are we willing to accept? How many more innocent American lives must be taken before we say enough, enough? So there is a response on the Senate floor. Senator John Cornyn this past week said he wants to work with Democrats to make some progress on the issue. I'm not interested in making a political statement. I'm not interested in the same old tired talking points. I'm actually interested in what we can do to make the terrible events that occurred in Uvalde less likely in the future. And now we don't know everything we need to know. But once we do, I expect there will be an informed debate about reforms we can make. And I look forward to participating in those discussions. I think Senator Cornyn comes from an honest place on this. He's somebody who you know agrees with those who are ardent supporters of the Second Amendment. He, he you know he was trying to reassure uh, some conservative activists and talk show hosts this week that he's not going to do anything that infringes on anybody's right to have a gun. You saw him say that uh, on Twitter and in some other places. In the past, and I want to slow down and talk about this for a second, Jeremy. In the past, the track record for Senator Cornyn, as you pointed out last week is to kind of hone in on something that's specific to the crime at hand, like in Sutherland Springs, where there was something wrong with the background check system, right? And he worked on legislation that was significant to fix that one narrow problem. Now, I heard some people say, well, that means that's his MO. 
He's going to you know, look for something that is unique to this crime that happened in Uvalde and figure out what's the one little narrow thing that they can do to try to fix it. Part of the problem with that approach is that we don't really know what happened in Uvalde because we keep getting all of these stories that are in conflict. We don't what we were talking about earlier. Every 24, 48, 72 hours worth of coverage, you see comments that are made, official statements on the record. Something will come out that completely contradicts the facts that we had been you know, told uh, previously, like there was a school resource officer that confronted the guy. Turned out that didn't happen. That a door was open, that the teacher left the door open. Well, turns out that didn't happen. Um, it, Abbott saying the cops tried to rush in there. That didn't happen. Whenever you have this kind of confusion, it, it for good or bad, Jeremy, I just think this is the reality. When there's that kind of confusion, it gives the advantage to people who don't want anything to happen legislatively because they'll say, hey, anything you're doing may not even address what really happened. Yeah, there's, there's a school of thought out there is that, uh, and you've heard it from some Republicans, is like the last thing you want are people coming into session in a passionate you know, rush to do something. And then all sorts of bad ideas have a better chance of getting through. Uh, you know, I point people back to Florida. You know, obviously I covered the you know Florida legislature and the Florida governor uh, at a point in my life. You know, after uh, Parkland, they did rush in and they did pass uh, legislation that raised the age to you know possess firearms from 18 to 21. You know, we're talking a Republican state, a Republican legislature, a Republican governor signed that uh, and they had all that headway to get it done. And I don't think a lot of them, you know, there's no push to repeal any of that. So they were able to get some stuff done. You know, uh, mind you, in that case, if that were happening here, you know, the, you know this shooter that we know uh, in Uvalde, he was 18. He would not have been able to purchase that weapon if he was in Florida because of what Florida did. We mm -hmm. did not follow that. So there are legislative things that can get done. But, you know, that's exactly, you know, in the in the heat of the moment, I think that's exactly what Republicans in the NRA particularly don't want to see happen. They don't well, want that energy to kind of get in there and turn into, OK, let's raise the age, you know, to 21. Right. Well, these folks are, I'm sorry to say, just dishonest that these folks are not in, in a legislative process. The thing that you come to value the most are people who are honest brokers. Maybe you don't agree with everything that they're trying to do, but you at least know where they're coming from and they tell you what they're trying to accomplish and you can hash it out with them. And you see this come from Democrats and Republicans. The first thing that the NRA, Texas State Rifle Association, other groups like that, they will all put out emails, text messages, uh, social media messages, et cetera, that say they're coming for your guns. They're going to take all your guns away. It, it, no matter what the proposal is, you were just talking about right. raising the age. So when I went back, Jeremy, and I looked at the letter from the Texas Senate Democratic Caucus about what they're asking for in a special session, see, they have ideas. The governor may not have any. I think he'd like a political solution, and there maybe isn't one. There needs to be a policy solution. So they offered several policy solutions, including raising the age, which you talked about, and they did in Florida and was signed by the liberal Rick Scott into law, right? Raising the age is one of the ideas. Another idea is universal background checks for all firearm sales, a red flag law, a cooling off period for buying a firearm, and regulating the ownership of high capacity magazines for civilians. Um, those are what a lot of folks, especially people who want, quote unquote, real gun control, a, a lot of those folks would say that's the bare minimum of anything that you could do after you've seen all these children murdered 
And while, you know, one thing that we do know happened because she told us an 11 year old girl took the blood from her friend and smeared it on her body so that the shooter would think she was dead and not kill her. She was having to think of things to do in that classroom to not die. And I'd just like you to keep in mind that she was able to think of that and do it pretty lickety split while all these guys can't come up with anything that they would do about guns. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and, and bring, you know, and you raise a really important point. You know, people talk about like, you know, obviously the, the people who have passed, like, well, we won't forget those folks, of course, but it's like, you got to think about like, there's 16,000 people who live in Uvalde who are affected by this in ways that we can't even possibly understand. You will never be able to drive past that elementary school without feeling. Even if they tear down the elementary school, like the the superintendent out there said this week, that is probably yeah. going to happen. The, mm-hmm. the spot, the road, everything about that, it's like you're never going to get over that. It's like it, 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 those poor children who who – you know, the ones who pass and the ones who had to live through that, the ones who lived through the 78 minutes while the police were on the other side of the door, not coming in uh, and what they saw. It's like we'll never be able to fix anything legislatively, obviously. But the fact, you know, I, I, I just keep going back to it. It feels like we need to do something for those folks. And yeah. there's got to be some legislative solutions to kind of give people some sort of idea that like what happened won't go unanswered and boy if it is just about doors (laughs) it's like it's just going to be really disappointing well i'm glad you mentioned doors let me get to senator cruz republican of ted cruz so um john cornyn speaks on the senate floor because he's a serious legislator senator cruz speaks on his podcast because i guess he's on our level (laughs) and um he has a co-host Named Michael Knowles, you've probably heard this. It's called The Verdict with Ted Cruz, and he he's got a really cool his podcast setup. Jeremy is a lot cooler than ours. He's got you know a leather couch, and he's the the host has a desk where he sits, and Cruz is at this cool you know like a high back leather chair and a cool microphone setup and all this. It's almost they, more I of think a TV they even show. have a fern or something in there. It's like it's like two, between two ferns, they have some I think sort it's of potted just, plant to kind of yeah, really I like think, bring home. The I think it's just I think it's just Cruz with one fern. Take that, oh. t- take that for what it's worth. So his, uh, his co-host, Michael Knowles, praised the senator for going to the National Rifle Association convention in Houston. And Knowles pointed out that there were a lot of Republicans who did not go to Houston. I have to point out a lot of people dropped out of the NRA convention. Uh, Governor Abbott dropped out. Senator Cornyn dropped out. Congressman Dan Crenshaw dropped out. Dan Patrick, I think, dropped out. The lieutenant governor of Texas. A lot of people dropped out. Senator, you did not. You showed up. You gave a robust defense of the Second Amendment. I'm not saying it to flatter you, and you know that I hate to compliment you. You gave what I thought was a really, really powerful and important speech. I I, I thought it was important to be there. Um, I was disappointed to see so many others make the decision not to be there. Um in part because the the media narrative that comes out of horrific crimes, horrific mass murders, within seconds, the media immediately wants to politicize them and use them to advance their longstanding political agenda that they had moments before the murder occurred. 
And in this instance, the media and the Democrats, they want to label anyone who believes in the Second Amendment, anyone who defends the Second Amendment as responsible for this horrific crime. And, and the NRA in particular is, is probably their favorite boogeyman. It's interesting, Jeremy. I was looking at the Chronicle's reporting on our uh, state elected officials who receive contributions from the NRA. And Cruz is, of course, one of them. But Senator Cornyn gets more money from them than Cruz does, according to the reporting. And someone said, well, does that mean that Cornyn is sort of more in the tank for the NRA? Do they have Cornyn in their pocket? And I said, you don't understand how lobby efforts work. They have to give Cornyn more money because he's more of a threat to exactly what they want because he's open to talking to Democrats, right? Cruz, he's the one in the tank. They don't have to give him as much money. Now, the other question about the NRA and their influence is a good one. People will say, well, look at all the money they give. That is not their stock and trade, if you will. That is not why they're so powerful. And you've seen this at the Texas Capitol. You see it at the Capitol in Washington. The NRA is so good, not just at activating their grassroots activists, but at activating them at key moments in the legislative process. If there's a hearing coming up about something to do with one of their agenda items, all of a sudden, Republican lawmakers are getting text messages and emails and calls from all these people who say, don't take my guns, don't take my guns. If there's a debate that's going to be held on the Texas House floor, here come all of those you know, same messages. And it scares the hell out of Republicans. But you know, you saw and you mentioned uh, Rick Scott in Florida, where they went on and passed a bill that the NRA doesn't like. And what happened to them? Nothing. Rick Scott's in the Senate now. I was listening to uh, Charlie Sykes who uh, used to be one of the big, he was probably the biggest conservative talk show host in Wisconsin. And he was talking about how when Governor Scott Walker didn't want to go along with something that the gun lobby did want at the state capitol in Wisconsin, there were some conservatives who started speaking out about, you know, against uh, unlicensed carry of firearms. You know, Wisconsin's not a place where they don't like firearms. There's a lot of hunting and fishing that goes on in the Midwest, right? But these NRA members who are a little more mainstream in their thinking um, than some of the leadership. If you actually talk to the members and say, hey, do you think people ought to walk around with no permit or anything? Most of them will say no. And so when Charlie Sykes and the governor, Scott Walker, came out against what the gun guys wanted, the consequence was nothing. So being so afraid of them is, I don't know, I don't know if, I don't know if they need to be as afraid of them as they are, because look, these are people who will never, ever vote for a Democrat. But you did see... Governor Abbott tried to walk this tightrope, right? He didn't just cancel at the NRA. He also gave them a video to play, a message for the people who are in attendance in Houston. And it was noted that, and I, you know, there's an old axiom in Texas politics, Jeremy, is something like this. It's uh, never attribute um, to coincidence what you can attribute to conspiracy. So Abbott, so Abbott, was speaking at a press conference in Uvalde, and he was trying to let the people there know that the full resources of the state of Texas are here to help you, right? As far as travel expenses, anything related to the funeral costs and, and all of that, and he should do that. Uh, but that press conference happened at the exact same time, just about, that his video played at the NRA. And people said, well, that's kind of interesting. And there were some people who noted that what Abbott was saying about new gun laws in Uvalde sounded a little different from what his videotape message said 
in Houston. So, so here's what people who were watching the press conference in Uvalde, here's what Abbott said at that. We will be looking for the best laws that we can get passed to make our communities and schools safer. Sounds very reasonable. Doesn't sound like an NRA speech almost at all, really. And here's what he said at the National Rifle Association. There are thousands of laws on the books across the country that limit the owning or using of firearms. Laws that have not stopped madmen from carrying out evil acts on innocent people in peaceful communities. Now, Jeremy, in fairness to the governor, they're not completely contradictory, but that's a very different message, right? In one instance, he's saying, hey, everything's on the table. But to the NRA folks, he's saying, actually, we already have plenty of laws. Don't y'all worry about that. It is not even a thing that we're going to consider in Texas. And if you pull back a little bit and you look at what he's actually doing to the point you made earlier, he's siding with the NRA folks, right? We're not about to see new laws in Texas on guns or anything else, certainly before the next legislative session. Yeah, exactly. He didn't let's, let's, let's report what Abbott didn't do. He didn't say, that's it. We're going to raise the age of you know people to get this weapon. I'm going to call a special session. And I'm going to put all my pressure uh, on them. You know, I will veto the funding of the legislature again like I did last year for the voting bill. I'll do that again if they don't give me you know, the funding or, or give me legislation to make sure you know, 18-year-old kids in this situation don't get possession of these guns. He didn't say any of that. You know, we're, we're, yeah, we're 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 not having that conversation at all. So if he, you know, he's doing like you said, much what you know the NRA would prefer him to do, mm-hmm. which is cool things down. You know, wait, you know, wait to put these legislators, you know, into action after we get through, you know, the the pressure and the public, you know, sorrow that people are yeah. going through night right now as they're going getting through you know, all these funerals. Yeah. Well, and I think this is why Beto is on the attack. And I, you know, I don't know that he thinks strategically enough to to think that this would be the effect of what he did in, uh, you know, in interrupting Abbott last week. I think it's just sort of it happens. And you know, as we reported last week, and you talked about, he's sort of Trump-like in that way. He's a disruptor, and he, you know, runs around and just does things and tries things. What I would say is, uh, the fact is that it has sort of put Abbott on the back foot, and he's having to be in a defensive position right now on all this. And if he doesn't want to do anything policy-wise, then what he needs is for people to kind of calm down, cool off. And the net effect is there would be no cooling off period for buying a gun, but there's a cooling off period for all of y'all who might want a new gun law. Well, and if I may, you know, I would like to correct a few things that we heard from The Verdict, Ted Cruz's podcast. You know, okay. when, they were, <laughs> yeah. when they were mentioning the people who weren't there, it's like, I just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it, just to clear things up, because I, I was reporting on all this stuff, too, and kind of checking on people's status who didn't oh, let's, go to the yeah, NRA. Jeremy, let's take, them, hey, let's take them one at a time. So uh, John Cornyn, what was up with him? John Cornyn had pulled out the day before, uh, on Tuesday morning, before the shooting happened. So he already had a conflict, you know, a scheduling conflict that he said he couldn't get there for. So he had already done it well before anything of Uvalde happened. Okay. Uh, Dan Crenshaw, they mentioned him not being there. What, what was up with that? Dan Crenshaw on Monday had canceled his appearance at the NRA because he had been in Ukraine. Uh, he oh. was still on his Codell out there where he was like looking at things on the ground. He eventually made it back, but he, you know, he just wasn't in a position to get to the NRA. So he pulled out from a logistical, he was literally not mm-hmm. on this side of the world. 
<laughs> kind of important. Uh, you know, it, there's 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 a lot going on in Ukraine. There's a Russia thing. All this, you know, a, key a place where they need, no, yeah, key uh, where they need ARs. Yeah, he did not make the decision on Tuesday after the shooting. Right. Go, oh, I better not be there. That's what the implication, you know, when Knowles is asking that question of Cruz. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, it's just, you know, I'm not in the business of having you defend all of these guys. But, like, right. it's important to note the truth is, like, both Crenshaw and Cornyn, they, they, they did pull out of the NRA, but it had nothing to do with Uvalde. Well, I mean, he was building up to a big moment of of not giving too much of a compliment to Senator Cruz. Uh, so he, I think he mentioned Abbott also, who, as we just uh, pointed out, he did offer some video uh, tape comments. And Dan Patrick, who he mentioned as well, the lieutenant governor, I think is interesting to just mention this. Patrick waited until the day, the morning that he was supposed to speak at the NRA breakfast and then released a statement saying that he had prayed about it and that he felt, and I'm paraphrasing, but he, he felt that, after praying about it, that um, that his presence at the NRA might add to the grief and the hurt of the people who are going through what they're going through in Uvalde. And my question would be, what is it that, because because I have a theory, and I'm sure you have a theory, but what is it that Dan Patrick thinks about appearing at the NRA would add to the grief of the people in, in Uvalde? Why would he think that? He didn't really explain that. Now, we mentioned... Crenshaw, not at the NRA for the reason that you that you mentioned, but it's not like he's some gun grabber, right? I mean, that's sort of the way it's been portrayed by maybe not necessarily Senator Cruz, but some people in the Republican Party are acting like Dan Crenshaw is some big gun restriction guy. He wouldn't even say to CNN's Dana Bash that a red flag law would be something that's appropriate. No, I wouldn't. Um, you know, it's... <laughs> It's funny, Rick Scott cited the law. You, you, you would think from the trolls on the internet that I'm the number one advocate for red flag laws. Uh, that's a bit of a myth perpetuated by my own side. Now, truthfully, um, I think there's a lot of problems with red flag laws, especially at a national level. And when it comes to criminal law, that really should be uh, democratically decided at the at the local and state level. Um, but even so, you, you okay, have to so look at these and wonder one, what the actual would you support is. a red flag law in Texas? Well, well, no, and, and here's why. Because what you're essentially trying to do with the red flag law is enforce the law before the law has been broken. By the way, just a reporting 101 thing. If people like when we kind of open our reporter's notebook and give them some hints about how we do this stuff, Jeremy. How many times have you been interviewing Crenshaw or anybody else who's in, in office? And the first argument they try to make is, well, that's not a decision for me, right? And then you have to pin them down on what they actually think about the issue at hand. Crenshaw talked a lot there about what the trolls on the internet think about him personally. He says it should be you know decided democratically at the state level as if it wouldn't be decided democratically if Congress did it, like, as if those people are not elected as well, uh, but doesn't want the red flag law. How did this get started that all these folks think that he's the red flag guy? That He, he made some comments after the Santa Fe shooting that really kind of sparked all that. Yeah, he, he had a whole video out in which like he talked about red flag laws and like, you know, it's, it's hard to characterize it. You kind of get it right. Cause I don't want to, you know, give him more problems, <laughs> but no, like sure. he no. certainly, you know, you know, was talking about the possibility of red flag laws and, you know, how they would work. But he was, you know, he's since that, you know, he wasn't trying to promote that. Uh, he said there had to be due process and make sure, you know, he certainly sounded open to the discussion back then. But as you heard in that clip, 
you know, he doesn't sound like he's open now at he's all not. to having right. that conversation in Texas. Now, I think he probably recognizes, you know, you know, the trolls who have been coming after him for two years and they just show up to his events and start like putting a camera in his face and say, why do you want to take all away, away everybody's guns? <laughs> and he always has to say, ah, not this again, you know? So right. I think he's just sick of dealing with that. So giving a chance on CNN to say, I want no red flag laws is probably yeah. his attempt to stop those trolls from showing up at his next political event. Well, it's, you know, for Senator Cornyn to go out and at least say he's open to some of these discussions, I think in our current, and I've gotten, I take some heat from Democrats on this when I say, look, he's the adult in the room for at least doing that. I'm reminded that when Governor Perry was in office and we were first starting the big debates about whether states would uh, adopt um, bills to, to, you know, pass laws to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, um, Senator Lois Kolkhorst, and I'm trying to think back. I think she was still a, uh, I think she was still a representative in the in the House. She was the public health chair, and she put out a video where she didn't say she was in favor of expanding Medicaid. But she did like a whiteboard presentation explaining how it would work, you know, and saying that here's how the money would come down from the federal government. Here's how it would make our budget situation a little easier in Texas and how many more people would get coverage. But she never said that it that she was in favor of it, you know, as a conservative Republican. But Jeremy, the video was published by the office of the governor because they were trying to float that out there and see what kind of response they would get. And all they got was blowback. And of course, we still don't have anything resembling uh, uh, Medicaid expansion in Texas. Well, and here's my big thought on why did Florida do that stuff then for guns and mm -hmm. Texas not, right? And and I'm going to you know go back to something that you've said a lot. You know, if I was Michael Knowles, I'd say, I, I'd say how brilliant you were in your past commentary. I mean, if you, you hey, let me, man. let me and just like, say, if you want, I don't want to have if, to say that. <laughs> if you want to treat me the way Michael, you ever see those memes where they say, find someone who looks at you the way that, that this person looks that everyone listening needs to find someone who looks at them the way Michael Knowles looks at Ted Cruz. Yeah. Well, 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 okay. So, and my point being, uh, yeah. that like, so, you know, why did that happen in Florida? Well, in Florida, every governor's race has been decided by 1% or less, uh, for the last six, <laughs> like there has, you know, a blowout there is to win by 2%. And so, you know, look at Texas. Not the case, right? We haven't been right. within six points uh, in a governor's race, you know, since, uh, you know, what, maybe, you know, uh, I think Bush beat Ant Richards by six or seven. Um, yeah, that, so you'd have to go back at least that in far. The yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the moral of the story is if Democrats start winning on the statewide level, if people start losing races, that makes Republicans go, wait a minute, maybe we right. do need to do something else. And that's why it's interesting to me that Cornyn, who's from the era in which Democrats mm -hmm. could win, you know, sees that, you know, and, and look, the, the, our trends have shown us that you know, the, the suburbs of today are not like the suburbs of, you know, 10 years ago. You know, Texas has changed. Right. You know, there's a lot, a lot different political viewpoints going on out there. Uh, so we could eventually get to the point where Florida is and these guys might have to take it seriously. But until there's evidence, <laughs> until we they have somebody, until they can hold up an elected official who lost his election uh, and, you know, these these gun control folks can take us out when they realize that that is mm -hmm. when it'll change, because that's what they realized in Florida as like the you know the the people the kids around Parkland the movement they created mm -hmm. could have taken out you know 
governors and senators. They knew it, and they had to respond. And at least for now, to your point about uh, Governor Richards, uh, when Ann Richards was running for re-election against George W. Bush years ago, one of the issues, and it's never, don't oversimplify, it, it's never just the one issue that's the silver bullet that is the one that makes the difference. But Governor Richards herself said in later years that one reason she lost that election to Bush is that she absolutely would not support letting people carry guns around in their pockets with concealed carry. This was when that all started uh, back when it was the uh, the godfather of the modern uh, gun rights movement in Texas, Jerry Patterson. Before he was land commissioner, he was a state senator from the Houston area, and he authored that bill. And, you know, they would try to pass this concealed carry thing, and Ann Richards was completely against that. And in Texas, up until now, you know, from then till now, to your point, what everybody knows is that, no, you don't go in the direction of gun restrictions if you want to win statewide. Now, it's a very different state. And I'll say this at least for the next few weeks. Maybe you'll get tired of it. But... I said a version of this last week. I'll say it again. The clip of video where you see Beto O'Rourke saying, hell yes, we'll take your AR-15, your AK-47. I think that Abbott's campaign was going to play that about 5 million times before November. And I've noticed they're not doing that now. And I don't know if they're going to get back to that after what we just saw. And, and I would ask this. If you do see that video, hear that audio of him saying that, does it hit your ear differently after what happened in Uvalde? Now, they're debating this stuff in Congress. You have Cornyn saying that, you know, he's open to talks. He's talking to Democrats. He, By the way, we should say he has the blessing of the majority of the uh, of the Republican leader, uh, Mitch McConnell. Congresswoman Veronica Escobar of El Paso, a Democrat, she's in the seat that um, Beto had before, by the way. She was the former uh, county judge out there. She said Republicans are obsessed with guns. And she said uh, in the committee hearing that she was in this week that it's unhealthy, it's wrong. She said it's absolutely crazy. There is an extremism that has gripped the Republican Party. They're addicted to it. They're slaves to it. They post ghoulish photos of themselves with weapons of war and use it as their Christmas cards. They photograph their children with those weapons. They participate in congressional hearings virtually adorned with them. Come on, they don't really do that. Are you kidding me? They run around with guns and, you know, they're always, you know, uh, showing videos of themselves shooting targets and uh, shooting pieces of legislation saying that they're going to blow the Democrats away and things like that. They don't really do that, do they? Ready? Aim. I'm Kathleen Wall and I approve this message. It's time to fight back. I'm Greg Gianforte. I approve this message. Joni's gonna unload. I'm Joni Ernst, and I approve this message. I'm Matt Rosendale, and I approve this message. Pro-gun. I'm Jake Beckett, and I approve this message. I'm going to blow away the Democrats. I believe in individual liberty and personal responsibility. Marjorie Green. I'm Mike Collins, and, and I, I approve, approve this, this message. message. Oh, they do do that stuff, Jeremy. And now, uh, East Texas Congressman Louis Gomert, who is retiring, and I have to tell you, I'm going to miss Louis. He was really angry uh, during this hearing, and 
have you ever heard him angry before? Are you surprised by that, that he would be angry as they're talking Shot. about gun control? And he can't believe that they even want to discuss this. He says that um, the Democrats are wrong to act like the Republicans don't care about these dead kids. He says it's all grandstanding from the Democrats. To infer by rhetorical supposed questions, who are you here for? We must be here for the gunman is an outrage. How dare you? You think we don't have hearts? It's just that when we look at the things that you're doing and you're trying to do to America, we've seen the carnage. I mean, for heaven's sake, let's, let's take example. Democrats control the major cities that have the worst murder rates. Among the cities that were mentioned by Representative Gohmert was Philadelphia, of course, uh, in Pennsylvania. And one of the uh, congresswomen from Pennsylvania needed to speak up about that. Representative uh, Mary Gay Scanlon represents the city of Philadelphia, a part of it. Uh, and she couldn't let it go. She said that, you know what? It's a little more dynamic of a situation than just saying that Democrats run the cities and that's why everybody's getting gunned down in the streets. I do want to respond first to Mr. Gomer, and I'm sorry that he and many of his colleagues didn't think it was important enough to be here today. But I did want to respond to his allegation that Philadelphia's homicide well, rate is no. I will so not. I, I will not I yield. Get there. My the gentlelady the does not yield. Gentlelady does not yield. The time is. I waited. I for wanted hours. to Gentlelady respond. does not yield. I wanted to respond to Mr. Gomert's allegation that Philadelphia's homicide rate is the fault of Democratic leadership in that city. Apparently, he doesn't understand that the Commonwealth's Republican legislature for decades has blocked city leadership from passing the types of common sense gun safety laws we are considering today. So to the broader question, like most Americans, I am sickened and sick to death of the gun carnage we experience in this country every single day. She was angry at Gomert. He's angry at her. As often plays out in these committees, Jeremy, it's just a party line vote. The Democrats vote. They have the gavel. They have the majority. They pass that bill out of the, um, the Judiciary Committee in the House. And of course, it'll make its way through the House in some form because the Democrats have the vote. The question or they have the votes. The question is, Will it pass the Senate? And we will all be looking to the man from Texas, the senior senator, to see what he comes up with. Um, and we'll watch that closely. Um, is that enough show? I yeah. feel I, I feel like we've filled up the tank. Yeah, I feel like the, after the last 10 days, I think we all kind of. I think it's done. <laughs> yeah, we're we're all you know we're we're worn out, but uh, but but watch uh, HoustonChronicle.com, CoramReport.com for any updates. As you know, here's the thing about doing the show because I know people like to listen. You know, they'll they'll listen tonight on Friday. They'll listen over the weekend. Some people listen Monday, Tuesday. So it's hard to get into too much detail about what has gone on in Uvalde because guess what? The second we're done recording the show, something else will happen that is completely contradictory to what we had understood before. So again, watch HoustonChronicle.com, QuorumReport.com, watch our Twitter feeds, at Scott Braddock, at Jeremy S. Wallace, uh, and we'll keep you up to date. If you enjoy the show, you know you do. You should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. We don't judge you, but you should judge us. Give us a, a good rating if you can. Give us the best rating you can. None of this four-star stuff. Five stars only. We don't want to call for management. Thank you very much. We will see you next week.